How many of you ever have a, a week where you, you sit back or maybe you sit forward and you wonder, like, how can I connect back with, with what God really wants? You started to notice these little things have clouded out your day or your mind and, and, and all of a sudden God just wipes everything clear. And you start looking at things differently. You start, start wondering, you know, what's, what's, what's really going on? What is, what is all of this really about? Well, I, I wanted to share with you. I met with a good friend of mine for breakfast and just was sharing my heart. And, and for me, vacation time and time away is, is always very intense. In this case, it was very intense for us. But it's always intense in the sense that I just I try and disconnect as much as possible and hear what God has to say. For me personally first. If I'm not following Christ, then you guys are absolutely wasting your time. You should just just walk away, be done. And I want God to speak, but but another part of that is that God just began to share some things that I wanted to share with you all. And I wanted to to remind us all of and it it starts off for this morning. It starts off a probably a probably end up being three parts or four, in a series called What is Rise Chapel? It's very easy to get caught up in kind of, I know the name, I know how to do church, I know how to do all these things, not questioning anybody in here and their love for Jesus, but sometimes it's very easy to lose the vision for why we do what we do as Christians. It's very easy to lose that. We will often get caught up in our own method, our own processes. This is what I believe I have to do to feel and look and act and smell like a Christian. But oftentimes, that's simply a tool, but yet we turn it into the end goal. And God never intended that. The house that is built is not all about the hammer that was used. It's about the house. And sometimes God wants to change that tool. Sometimes God wants to, to remind us of what the value is, what that end goal is. And so this morning, we start part one. Part one in the series is called, What is Church? Now, if I was to take a poll, and I, and I thought about doing this through Facebook and Instagram and try and take a poll and say, you know, there's four choices and what do you think church is? And all of them are going to be trick answers or trick, part of a trick question. Because there's a lot of, of things to think about. When we, when we look at the Bible, there's so much in here that sometimes we call, oh, this is church. This is what defines church. And then there's other areas where we didn't even realize, wow, that, that really is the purpose of the church of God. That really was his goal, his end purpose for us. So what we're going to do this morning is go into starting in part one and kind of define church. I want all of us, whether you're here this morning or you're online or whatever it is, I want all of us to take time to understand and set that foundation for what is church? 99% of this may be one of those sermons you walk out and go, duh. But here's my challenge. How much of this are you actively applying? How much of this am I actively doing in my life is the question we can ask. I've had people sometimes after a, a service, and uh, it was one recently in the past, uh, past year, and they said, you know, you know that, that sermon was all right. And, and I said, okay, well, I wasn't really looking for an evaluation, but I then said, you know, what, what, what do you mean by that? I was like, oh, it was, just, it was just really, really overly simple. And I said, oh, okay. Well, is that because you're applying all of it in your life already, and so you didn't get anything out of it? It was the same response he gave me. 
nothing. Because sometimes God gives us new, fresh truth, and we're just, wow, that is incredible. God, this is going to change my life. And then he uses the same truth we've been hearing year after year after year after year, not because we're stupid, but because we're not obeying. See, often God will say the same thing over and over again. Parents, teachers, same thing over and over again. Not because he wants to hear his own voice, but because he wants us to hear his and obey. So this morning, I want to get really basic, really simple, and and set a good foundation for us on church. And I want to challenge us because here's what's great about this. This conversation, really, that I'm going to have this morning ties directly with a lot of evangelism conversations I've had. Because immediately people will say, you'll say, oh, I'm a Christian. They go, I don't, I don't, yeah, I gave up on church years ago. Well, sadly, my response sometimes is, me too. Church itself isn't the solution. Church itself is, is the outcome of the solution working in our life, Jesus. So I'm going to stop talking about the teaching and actually do the teaching now. And I, and I want you guys, if you're, if you're capturing notes this morning, there's going to be a lot of, of verse references that we go through. But I want us to realize something, that we have to define church. It's very easy at times to say, well, let me just ask you, and this, this doesn't point at how bad any of us are because I said the same thing to my kids this morning. How many of you said in your mind or to your family member, we're going to church or are you ready for church? Anybody today? Anybody? All right. So most of us are truthful. So, the, come on, ha, 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 ha. We're going to have to do jumping jacks here? See, the, the, the definition of something kind of gets into this, this regular statement we make, and, and then it starts to get confused. How many of us have said, hey, can you give me some Kleenex? Sure, we've said that. Give me some chapstick. Sure, we've said that. It's not chapstick. That's the brand name. It's called lip balm. They're not called Band-Aids. They're called sticky-on-one-side elastic wound covers. We, we, have these, we have these words and definitions that we tie together because we've associated it that way. So I want to take the first thing we do in the teaching this morning is I want to put a definition up on the screen. And we're going to go through on kind of what church is, what church isn't, before we get into what our response is. And I want us to realize that, that church is not a meeting on Sunday. And, and we can start that. It's not a meeting on Sunday but a people on a mission, and not just people on a mission, but people on a mission with eternal consequences. Now, you're going to see how each of those pieces tie into that, because I say not a meeting, and not a meeting on Sunday, but a people, but a people on a mission, people on a mission with eternal consequences. All of these pieces tie into what we're going to talk about this morning. And it's very difficult at times to remember all of these parts, but that is what it's about. It's very easy to only think of Rise Chapel or the people that go here or or the things that go on in the context of 1045 to 1215 on Sunday every week. It's very easy to do that. Why do I say that? Because I know it personally, what that can look like. How we can get very caught up in the fact that the mission is to do a good Sunday. And I talked with a friend of mine who's Worked with different churches all over the valley for years. And he said, one of the worst things about a place that's very Bible belty is that we know how to do church. We don't know how to be the church. 
And that's a temptation. That's a problem for all of us. Is that sometimes we'll identify more with the idea than we will with the mission. So we have to remember that it's not really a time, a place, a building, or an activity. That there's something bigger to what church is. There's something more impactful to what church is. You'll see here in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And I love this because this verse has been overused, misused many, many times. And I want us to look real quickly at this to understand what church really is. Peter answered a question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Everyone has to answer that. Everyone has to answer that. Not just one time in their life. Every day, every moment of our life. He said that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. All of that, huge theology picture, huge fulfillment of prophecy, and just those simple names, names that we've kind of gotten used to being in church. Names we've got used to, yes, I know, the Christ. The, the words, the Christ, is Greek for Messiah, which meant the, the promised one, the holy one, the one sent by God, son of the living God. That word living, a better way to translate that word living is life-giving, life-originating God. There is none other that literally originates life itself. The trees, the people, everything, life originates in him. There is no other source. So Peter makes a massive theological statement, continues on, and Jesus responds and says this, You are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. For, for Peter to say you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, not the, the Jewish physical redeemer that's going to crush the Romans under his foot, but to say and fulfill that prophecy was huge. This wasn't some mental exercise, some book that you read that told you this, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. Then he continues and says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That verse right there has been brutalized for, honestly, centuries. Because what a lot of times we see is in American English and grammar, we miss some of the things that should be translated in Greek. Just because we read it, how we believe, and we try our best, how we believe it should be read. Here's the, the, the context for us to understand. When he says, I tell you that you are Peter, he's making a very specific, almost condescending, not trying to be mean, but condescending statement. The rock that he's talking about, he uses two words, Peter here, and, and here's the actual definition. This word Peter here means a piece of a rock. Just a piece. Just a little something. So he says this, he says, and I tell you that you're just a little piece of the rock. You are not the rock. Then he responds back with this. And on this mass, the word, the word and definition to be purely defined, this mass, this huge piece of rock is what I'm going to build the church on, not you, Peter. He makes it so very clear, and I tell you that you are just a little piece of this thing that I'm doing. Yes, you're part of the beginning, but I'm building my church on this mass of rock. What is the mass of rock that he's talking about? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says that Jesus is the basis. He says, I this huge rock that you just talked, this massive topic, 
is what I'm building the church on. Now, why does that matter? Well, the problem is, is that if the church is built on a man, I'm, I quit. I'll be the first to quit as a pastor. I'm done. Because I can't do this on my own. It's impossible to do on my own. Trust me, I've tried too often. But if it's built on Jesus, then I can raise my hands quite often and say, God, this is your issue. God, this is your people. God, this is your idea. God, this is your future. This is your problem. This is your glory. This is your, your, your worship. All these things, these are all yours if it's built on him. It doesn't exist without him. And the next piece I want us to realize is in the last part of this, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. We would translate that. Some of the translations say the gates of hell will not overpower it. Now, we have to realize something. If you build a gate on your garden, are you keeping things out or keeping things in? You're keeping things out, okay? Now, if something comes towards your garden, does your gate leap off and start beating whatever's coming towards it? If it does, I want a video because that would be awesome. No, gates aren't offensive unless you're writing swear words on them, but gates aren't offensive they're defensive. Gates hold back the onslaught. Gates stop something from coming in. So when Jesus says that I am, I, am, I am this advancing power, I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter has proclaimed it, and he says that this rock, that the gates of hell will not overpower it, meaning that they will not be able to stand under the attack of the Messiah. See, too often as Christians, we, we forget That it's not hell attacking us, it's us attacking hell by the power of Jesus. That the gates of hell are the ones being attacked. That we stand on the right side of history and eternity as Christians. That's a big deal. And oftentimes we've translated this word, and just by the nature of the word, we've, the gates of hell will not prevail. God protect you from those attacking gates today. What? No, God, give me strength to stand up as I continue to do all that you've asked on mission in your kingdom. That's how we have to look at these gates, how we have to look at what the church is. That no matter what comes against us, we don't need cultural Christianity to be Christian. We don't need cultural Christianity to be a church, to, have, to be valid, to grow. Jesus is not sitting back wondering, I don't, don't know how I'm going to do this. They're not letting prayer in. In these places, they're not going to let churches happen in a few years. No, he's already got the victory. He's going to accomplish things how he sees fit. So when we look at church, we have to realize that, that what it is that, that God has done, what it is that he wants, ties to a point that we're going to go into the next verse. That we are not sitting idle, but actively working his purposes. See, that's what the church is, is that it's not simply Jesus has checked the box, and so as long as we meet on Sundays, we've accomplished the goal. Now, let me just pause for a second, and I don't want to minimize gathering together, and we'll get into that in about four or five points, talking about so what, basically. But I remember someone describing, think of the amazing eternal spiritual picture 
of all of God's saints gathering together to sing his praises at one time. And, and you think of that, and it's just, it's just amazing. And then he follows it up and says, that's Sunday morning. It's a great honor and a privilege. Guys, I will tell you that by the third weekend that I wasn't here, I woke up that morning and I was frustrated that I could not be here and sing praises with you guys and talk with you and pray with you and just see what God was doing in your life. It excites me to actually get together with you all. Over time, over the next few months, I pray that we'll have multiple additional times that we can get together, whether through, through studies or through uh, different things that we're going to be doing in the community. I'm excited about what God's going to do with that. It's important that we gather together, but not for the gathering's sake, but for the mission's sake. If we only go to work for me, that's going to make it hard to deal with. I'm going to be difficult to deal with because you're there for me, not me for you. And we're never going to really accomplish what the mission of the company is because, well, it's all about me. And we've worked with someone like that. And if you haven't, you're probably that person. But it's hard when we lose purpose and lose vision for why we're doing what we're doing. And just so you could know, and I probably say this every Sunday, this, this, this is a message, and these are points that God has hammered out and continues to hammer out in my life, to realize what is it that we're really doing as a church? What is it that God's actively doing with us? One thing I want to pull up is the next verse. This is actually a somewhat difficult translation. There's some ambiguity in the Greek, and I'm not going to get really nerdy on you all, but I want to pull out two points that are pretty consistent in any translation. You'll see it in different ways. The New Living has, uh, has it in this translation uh, in a specific way. There's several others that translate it this way. But Jesus is talking, and he says, From the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Now think of that. Forcefully advancing. And violent people are attacking it. Now, I think we can identify with the last one. In fact, a lot of times we will actually be able to pull up, uh, maybe not fully rightfully so, but we'll pull up a political thing. We'll pull up an area where people are just hateful towards Christianity or Jesus or the Bible or whatever it is. And we make that connection. We say, yes, there are people that just are disgusted. You can say God. You can say all these things. But you mention Jesus and they just start throwing up and yelling at you and screaming and doing all these horrible things. Yes, that there are violent people against the work of Jesus. But the part before that, forcefully advancing. That's not always the way that I think the picture of Christianity is painted, is it? But if you study some of these people who are in the persecuted uh, church zones, they're not just sitting back hiding which is exactly what I would do. Unfortunately, it's exactly what the American church has started to do at times, is to hide behind culture or hide within their walls the truth of Jesus. What you see in these persecuted areas is they're going out knowing that they will likely die for what they're doing. Maybe not today, but the kingdom has to move forward at all costs. That's a challenge. That's a challenge for me. The other side of it is, is that, yes, we're definitely being attacked. But I want, to, I want to show something, though. This next point is something for us to think about, that a church without struggles is not, often not an enemy of evil. Now think of that. 
A church without struggles is often not an enemy of evil. Some of you may not see any struggles here at Rise Chapel. You may not see anything. You might be like, hey, why, why is this pastor so intense this Sunday? It's just church. There's all kinds of things that go on during the week, behind the scenes, whether through email or phone calls or, or finances or whatever it is that's going on. And often when you see some of these struggles, and it's not of our own will where we've done something wrong, where someone's gone out and done something stupid, but it comes from the fact that we're advancing in places and areas that God has wanted to move for a long time. And we can have two choices. We can actually have a mindset of victimhood, or we can have a mindset like the disciples when they left after getting beaten, high five and praising God, going, Yeah, we're really Christians. Man, I don't know that I take a beating and say, May I have another? That's not what I do. But that's a challenge. That's a challenge. And, and, and here's, the, here's the big piece that I want us to look at as Christians and the church itself is that we're not victims. We're victors. That's why the violence is coming against the church of Jesus. Is that we've won. And the dark spiritual realm is having the worst temper tantrum you could ever imagine because they're losers. That deserves an Amen. All right, we got someone out there yelling in the foyer. All right. That's the truth. Now, I'm not saying that to minimize the power of the spiritual world. That's powerful. We can't overtake it by ourselves. But we've got Jesus. He's with us. That we're not the victims in this case where, man, it's just really hard being a Christian. Yes, and you breathe oxygen, and when water gets on you, you get wet, and other obvious things in life. But we won. So what if they're chucking tomatoes at us and kicking us and shoving us to the ground as we're walking in the victory march? They just can't stand it that we're the winners. I'm not saying that to minimize any pain or hurt, but that's a reality that I think we all have to be reminded of is that if you are walking your life and you want to honor Christ and it doesn't feel like things are advancing how you feel or how you think it should or whatever the situation is, know that sometimes when it feels like you're being kicked when you're down, it's because you're doing something right for Christ. Now, that's not to minimize the fact that sometimes we're kicked when we're down because we're just dumb. We've dealt with that before. I want to encourage you with the fact that if you come in here today not, you know, coming to this church service was the only thing you accomplished this week that was worth anything. Know that you're a winner because you're in Christ. That's really simple, Pastor. You're darn right it is, and we need to remember it every day because I forget it. You know what huge revelation I had? Yes, this is almost embarrassing as a pastor who has studied and taught the Word for many, many years that God has been with me personally knows everything that has happened, everything that is happening and is with me despite much of my stupidity and will be with me moving forward. Personally attached to me. Why? Why? That's some serious love because I can't handle myself sometimes. That is some serious companionship right there. That at the darkest time, 
that the loudest distractions and noise from the spiritual realm is still right there. That's why he made the church. To be alongside his creation on a mission to get more who can't in the darkest time of their life actually say, I have a hope and a purpose. But we can. And that's our mission, is then the forceful advancement of this kingdom and this message to share that hope out, to bring that hope forward. And I want us to realize something that as Jesus talks about this movement of the church, there's another point before we get into the next verse. Church is made of people. It's made of people. We've all seen that, right? You, you get the, what is it, you put your hands together like this, and, and you, come on, everybody do it. Let's do that. How, I mean, you remember that from children's church. Everybody remember that? You do the little church thing, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, you open the doors, and there's all the peeps. People. It's made of people. It's made of people. Because that's who God came to save, is his people. But it's not based on, it's not sustained, it doesn't receive its purpose from the people. It receives its purpose from the, found, the, the very foundation, the creator of the fellowship. Like I've said before, none of us would just all of a sudden walk through cars and go, I want to have all of you together every week and be with you for a few hours. None of us would ever do that. No offense at all. I love all of you, but we don't have the same likes. But we've got Jesus in common. That's why we get together. That's why we gather. And so when we understand the church, know that it's made of people. It's also a good reminder. It's, it, it's made of people which fail and say silly things and hurt your feelings. But it's not built on that. It's built and held together by Jesus. Oh, man, am I so glad for that. I'm so glad for that. It's far too often that I remember the first part as if it's the foundation and the makeup. But no, church is made of people and built on and held together by Jesus. Read in Ephesians chapter 4. You'll see it up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4 says, For there is one body. How many bodies? One body. Let's say that next one. And one spirit just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. So we've got a common word there, right? One, 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 right? Any other common words in there? I don't think so. Maybe the word the. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You know what it hasn't said? One local fellowship, one church to go to. It's not what it said. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one that we're serving. There's one that we're trusting. There's one that we've been regenerated in the Spirit in. Remember, we talked about Jesus being the basis. One God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, living through all, and the all context is, is the writing to the Ephesians to Christians in this church. Many people will twist this grammatically and, and, and have a universal view that says, well, that just means that everybody is eventually going to find it because God's inside of everyone. That's not true. Nowhere else in Scripture supports that. The context here is writing to Christians. So 
So God says this unifying thing through Paul as he writes to the Ephesians. How many times have we thought of it as we have the one, they have the one, than to realize that all of us as Christians are, are joined together and we have opportunities to be together, to go towards a common goal for Jesus. I have a friend of mine that lives in, in Palmer, and he's got a similar heart to me. He goes to a church that, that's out there in Palmer. I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't want him here. He's a, he's a great person. But it's amazing to see that when God brings us together, the things we share about, the things we pray about, the things we talk about, that our heart's breaking for the same things. Some of us are witnessing, to, the, or either of us sometimes are witnessing to the same person. The same person comes up in our mind. Some mornings I'll get a text at 3 or 4 a.m. or whatever, hey, just woke up praying for you. Well, it doesn't go to the same church, so how could he do that? He, he goes to one where they might do something that, I don't, that I'm not comfortable with, Pastor. Well, yeah, he can't talk to Jesus then if you're not comfortable with what they're doing. It's all about that, that Jesus being the basis because if people are the basis for the church, then we go back to what I taught on in 1 Corinthians the first few weeks. It's either the basis is Christ or the basis is people. We have to make that differentiation early on or we get into a lot of confusion. So if we, if we understand and kind of define the church, there's some very big statements in, in the definition that I just went through. That was one definition. Yes, it was one definition. There's a lot of other details I'd love to throw into there, and, 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 I, and I can at, at other times as we go through this message. But what I wanted to differentiate is what really makes the church the church. What really makes it what it is. And so as we get, went into that, now I want to look at and kind of move, because we talked about eternal consequences and a goal and a mission and all these things that are kind of underlying to what Christianity and the church is. So I want to talk about what is the goal of the church? What is the goal of the church? Because I've said at times, and, and even in my own life, I asked the question, I, I know that I was saved, I know that I was called unto something. That it wasn't, if I wasn't called to something, then God messed up because it should have just plucked me out of this world and dropped me in with my harp and my cloud and everything would have been fine, right? But he left me here for some reason. And I have to ask him and seek him for that answer. So what is the goal of the church? Well, the first thing I want us to realize, number one, that the purpose of church gatherings, I kind of talked about gatherings earlier, the purpose of church gatherings is not attendance. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a pastor down in Florida when we were down there, and he asked a couple different questions, and, and we were sharing about how things were going where they were at and where we were at, and... He started sharing some, some frustration. He said, yeah, I've seen other churches that just grow and then just die. And, and it just doesn't make sense. And, and the world and even the people in that specific local fellowship look at it and think something's going on. And then he said the opposite. And then they look at a church that's a little bit smaller. And they go, man, just something's not right there. Well, health is not always identified by attendance. It's really... And the purpose really isn't seen until you have engagement and transformation. 
Now, let me share something. This is, this is something exciting that God has done. You guys, if you weren't here, you missed an awesome time, but Easter weekend, I shared the 10 baptisms that we did with a group of pastors from around the valley. And there were two different responses. One response was, man, that's awesome, that's incredible, that's great to hear what God's doing, all those things. You know what the second response was? Wow, that's more than we did in a year. Now, yes, I am all about the numbers because we can influence more for Christ. But if we're only here to warm seats, which, by the way, these seats are really comfortable now, then we're not talking about transformed lives. So church is not necessarily attendance, although at least getting in the door betters the chances of engagement and transformation. In fact, it pretty much guarantees the opportunity for that choice. But that engagement, that transformation is what matters. I love to hear back. I love to hear back from you guys when you share, hey, you know, Pastor, something you shared this weekend really challenged me, and here's what, it, here's what I'm going to do about it in my life. That's incredible. That's why I study and put together something to share and say, you know, Spirit, whatever you want to speak, whatever you want to say, and it's God that's speaking, and why he uses me, you can keep asking him because I haven't found an answer yet. But for some reason, he speaks. And when I get a testimony back, or I share a testimony, I share a testimony, I'm not going to use names, but there's a family in this church that over the past two years, their lives have been completely flipped upside down. And now they are both following Jesus. And I shared that, and the guys that were sitting next to me, all the hair was raised on their arms, and they said, that's what it's about. Because that is what it's about. Is the transforming message of Jesus goes out. I am getting messages to our general mailbox at the church and even to the Pastor Joe email address of people saying, there's, there's a, a group of people in Ethiopia right now. I don't even understand what they're saying. But they log in and listen to the teachings in Africa. There's a group of people in England. I got a message from some folks um, back down south that have started listening to the teachings. They don't have a solid church that they're at. This is where they're getting some of the teachings for Scripture and for application and other things in their life. That's amazing to see the influence of God. That's what we get to be a part of as God moves, as God speaks. Now, I never would have thought that several years ago. Just a year ago, I have business partners from many years ago that have sent me messages going, hey, I totally returned back to God. I never even realized you were a pastor. He's like, but you disappeared from our meetings for four years, and next thing I find you on the Internet. Awesome. We were debating strategy on how to win business together, and now he's praising Jesus. That's awesome. That's what God wants to do. He wants to move from the attendance piece where, where we simply come in and go, okay, I'm in the seat, to we stand up and we salute and we say, God, I'm on your mission. And that's what he wants for each of us. And that's what that church gathering is used to invoke by God. Anytime you see a church gathering in history, and I wish I could go through all of them, but if you study the book of Acts, which is a, I will tell you, I, I have jumped up and yelled in the, uh, studying the book of Acts. I am a serious Bible nerd, but I have. I've read it, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, yes, that's awesome, because you watch this stuff work, and then I've gotten frustrated. I'm like, God, I want that to happen. I want the ground to shake. I want walls to fall over in the middle of prayer time. That's what I want. 
Because that means we've completely submitted to his power and his will. Study the book of Acts and you'll see that after the church gathered and they prayed and they worshiped and they listened to certain teachings, they didn't go home and go, hey, can't wait to get some shrimp on the barbie and have a good time hanging out. And they were running out, destroying the world, turning it right side up for Jesus because they were engaged and they were transformed by him. Now, I'm not saying this to put anybody down because you're not going street witnessing after church. Relax. What I'm saying is, is that is God touching your heart and does it impact you? Not Joe, Jesus impact you as you go through the, the scriptures, as you go through and worship alongside each other. Grab someone before you leave today and just say, hey, I don't even know who you are. I want to pray for you. I want to write it down on my hand, on my forehead. I'll etch it in with a knife on my leg. Whatever has to happen, I want to pray for you this week. You know, I don't even know who you are. Do that. Minister to each other. Engage. Be transformed by his work. Why do I say that? Well, I read some amazing things in Colossians, and then also in the Old Testament you'll see Colossians says this, Let the message about Christ in all its richness... Fill your lives. Now, how many of you have ever had like a seriously, ridiculously expensive fancy meal? Like it was three figures and you were only on like maybe the second piece of the meal. Now, when you get home, you, ha- you have this mixture of like horrific terror and ultimate pleasure, right? Because it was so good, but it was so rich, Right? Usually that comes after like a really good slice of cheesecake, right? You're glad you did it, but you also hate yourself, right? I am not the only one. (laughs) Guys are all sitting here like, no, that's you, pastor. I don't eat cheesecake. I just eat angel food cake. With whipped cream on it, that's what you do. Do we believe that the message of Christ has a richness to it. Are we to the point where we're like, don't, stop, wait, no, I'll take some more. You, you, you kind of were confused of like, I, got, I, I can't handle this truth or this, this activity in my life. It hurts, but you know what? I, I have to have you more speaking to me. That's not very fun sometimes. But it's also the most amazing seasons of my life have been when it appeared to be so dark out. But every time I went into Scripture and every time I got to worship, I was blinded by His truth. And it transformed so much. So Paul's challenging the Corinthians here. He says, let, it, let that richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives, with the wisdom Jesus gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. That sounds like an incredible church service, doesn't it? That sounds like an incredible small group study, an incredible prayer time, an incredible time just hanging out with some people in the neighborhood, whatever it is. Next, you'll see in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, 11, God's promises, the things that he says will happen, that he will do. He says this in the same way, the promise that I make does not return to me having accomplished nothing. When God has designed something, Go back to what he said about the church, that it is forcefully advancing, that the gates of hell will not prevail against its advance. He says here that the promises that he's made will not return to him accomplishing nothing. That's why I say we are winners. That's why I say that though all hell comes against us, they lost. 
But what if we die? It's a living hope. That's actually the best that can happen. <laughs> it's kind of sick, but it's true. He says, no, it's realized as I desire. Now, that's a hard one to deal with. It's realized as God desires and as fulfilled as he intends. He's got a mission and a vision for specifically this fellowship, Rise Chapel. But he's got a mission and vision that's also broad. It's specific for his body that he's created, Christianity, the church itself. And it's going to be accomplished. And so we gather together as part of that to fellowship together, to, to, to teach and, and, and learn from Scriptures together, and then go out and be changed by it all. Number two, the mission of the church, we talked about the purpose of church gatherings, but the mission of the church, not Rise Chapel as a local fellowship, but the church as the body of Christian believers, the mission of the church is to be an influence in this world. Now, oftentimes, we'll, we'll hear that and we'll say, okay, I agree with that. I agree with that. But in application, Paul, we just studied this in 1 Corinthians a couple weeks back. In application, Paul already had to remind people that they'd forgotten that that was really the mission of the church. That the, the goal of the church had a pastor who was a mentor of mine for years, and he said, he said, Christians are too often making themselves sterile and hanging out in holy huddles. They're sterile because they've maintained and said, I'm so clean, I don't hang out with the dirty people and hangs out in this holy huddle so that their arms are locked together and no one's allowed in and they don't tell anybody what they're talking about. Now, I love to hear the testimonies because often that's not what I hear from you guys. I hear about the people you've shared with. I hear about the love of Christ going out, which is incredible. You know what that means? You're getting it. That's awesome. That it's part of your life. It's in your DNA as a Christian. But it's a reminder for us that the mission of the church is to be an influence in the world. What do I mean by that? Well, we have two sections. John records Jesus' prayer. And Jesus says something that doesn't really make sense. I don't like it. To be honest, I don't like it. I wish you would have prayed something different. But he says this, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Why? I don't want to be here. Think of that. Now, there's some times a year that I'm like, yeah, okay, uh, uh, God, two or three more days, and then you can take me to heaven. Because it's, it's just right, you know? 67 degrees. A little bit, just a little bit of breeze, and the sun actually is shining. That's good stuff. But we also can all identify with January 25th when we're saying, God, you actually should have taken us out of the world. But he says this, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus prayed the prayer. God wills for his people to be protected from the evil one. Repeat, repeat, repeat. But I just, I just, I just don't, I don't feel like I can do it, Joe. I don't feel like I can go another day. I feel like literally everything is against me. I, I look at my life right now, and I feel like there's this black cloud, this massive spot in my life, like this anchor that I can't move forward. Yes, I've got a great marriage. Yes, I've got this life. Or yes, I've got this job. Yes, I've got this church. Yes, I've got all these things. But there's this thing right here holding me back. God says, and in his own prayer, he said, you're not getting out of the world, but you will be protected. That's huge as far as hope, as far as purpose. And the church is on a mission to infect the world, not the other way around. 
And he says here, when he's talking about the Christians, he says they do not belong to this world any more than I do. That Jesus was in and then out. But while he was in, he was all in. And are we? Just as he was in the world, we're called to be in the world. Next, you'll see at the last part, verse 17, he says this, make them holy by the church they go to. No. What is it that begins to transform us? It's his truth. What is his truth? Glad I have control. What is his truth? That we're safe from the evil one. What's another truth? Good question. That we don't belong to this world any more than he did. The world doesn't have a hold on me. Yeah, but it's really trying to, and it's going to until you die. It's going to until I die. It will constantly try and get its claws into me and drag me down and drag you down. It'll even attempt to do that to the church. But the gates of hell, the attacks of Satan, will not prevail because we are protected. It can't be torn down. And here's the beauty of it all, that even in death, God gets the glory. God gets the glory. It's so amazing to see when you have these beheadings of Christians in the news and the people that are so confused on all they had to do was just say, I don't believe in God or I don't believe in Jesus, whatever. Why wouldn't they do that? Oh, man, I love those questions. I love those. That even in death, God wins. That's amazing. That's amazing. That nothing can take me unless God has allowed it. Nothing touches me unless it went through his hands and and he approved it first. That the troubles that would come in our life against us, they say, boom, God approved if we're a Christian. Sometimes we don't like that. But he's not going to give us something that he doesn't know will be perfect for what we need. So the church itself is an influence. And even though there might be dark times or struggling times that we have, he'll still get the glory. The next piece I want us to look at, you'll see here in 1 Corinthians, we looked at this a few weeks ago, Paul's writing up to a church that had gotten hyper-legalistic in some areas and then got really, really lax in a lot of their, their morals and such in other areas. And they had this kind of confusing thing where they were trying to set themselves apart and have this holy huddle and go, well, we're not going to hang out with these other people because they do bad things. But then on the other side, they're allowing those things to happen in their church. And so Paul's exposing hypocrisy. And then he says this, when I wrote you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Now, many people, Christians, or people in certain churches would hear this and they're going to jump out and go, amen, kill them all. But there's a next verse in Paul's letter. He says, but I wasn't talking about the unbelievers. He says, if, if you had to disassociate with people who are involved in sexual sin, we're not going to know anybody. He says, people who claim to be Christians and yet are here practicing the worship of other spirits and other things in their life through sexual sin, they're not really Christian. Don't associate with those people. They can make all the claims they want. But they can't come in and go praise Jesus after tagging four or five different people in bed. That's not how it works. But then he says, the world is full of that stuff. He says, I didn't tell you to disconnect from those who indulge in sexual sin in the world or those who are indulging greediness in the world or those who cheat people in the world or those who worship idols in the world. And then he has this really obvious statement in here. And he says this, you'd have to leave the world to avoid people like that. 
You'd literally have to live in a cabin in the middle of the woods and never see anybody again. That wasn't an offer. It was actually somewhat of a poke. The reality of Christianity is not that, oh, you're a Christian. Here, we're going to play this radio station for you all the time. Yes, it's Christian music. It'll be the same song all day. And then we go here, and here's like 18 different Bibles and all the devotions you can have. Every time you walk out, there's unicorns prancing around. You get a free lollipop every morning. No. If that happens for you, you likely need to check in next door to Dolentine Challenge because there's a drug problem. That's not reality. But he cures us of our sin and our guilt so we can bring the cure as the church to those who are still in it. He doesn't save us to put us in a club where we're safe from those dirty sinners because we were one. And had the truth not infected our dirty world, there's no way in heaven or on earth that we'd be able to have the stance we stand with God redeemed because someone, something got through our dirtiness and spoke to us. And that's impactful. So the church, this point going back to it, the church is on a mission to influence the world. Number three, the vision of the church. So we talked about the purpose of a gathering. Now we talk about the mission. Now we talk about the vision. The vision of the church is centered on the gospel. Nothing happens without the work of Jesus breaking away the hold that death. We don't understand this, especially as Christians, but you may understand this pre-Christ, that the concept of death, the concept of being unattached from this life, whether it's control or whatever it is, is mortifying. I know someone who still has not accepted Christ into his life, and he, there are often days he goes by without sleeping because he's afraid if he goes to sleep, he's going to die. And that is the worst thing that could happen. And I honestly agree with him sometimes when he talks with me. Because not waking up in this world means he's lost the opportunities to make the choice for his afterlife. That's terrifying. But it's not for those who are truly in Christ. It's not for those who their hope has been changed. And so the gospel itself is that basis. It's that center. But the, the power is not from a bunch of people running around yelling the gospel, standing up on a chair yelling, you're going to hell unless you do the things that I tell you to do. No, it's actually empowered by the Spirit of Jesus who knows what every person needs in the time they need it. It was the same for each of us. I have a friend of mine that, that told me, he got, uh, became a Christian, he was 41, and he said to me, he was crying, he was so frustrated that he had all this guilt from his whole life He's like, Joe, why couldn't someone just share the gospel with me when I was seven? He's like, I went to church. And I never heard the simple gospel here. I said, this was when you chose to listen. I said, I don't understand. God can use this, and he has, which has been incredible. His personality is very unique. It's amazing how how. I don't know how he has this combination, but he's got very thick skin and very soft heart that he will talk to anybody. He doesn't care what their response is. They can literally cuss him out, and he'll be like, okay, yeah, you're a jerk, but see you later. It just, it just brushes it off. I can't do that. I'm too emotional about it. But it's amazing to see how God uses all the things that have happened in his life, that when the timing was right, God was still there and spoke the truth he needed to hear for him to accept him. 
Oftentimes, it's very easy to get the church turned and focused on a set of programs and a mission that sounds good, but it's not based on God. And good and God aren't the same. Empowered, yes, God is good, but what I'm saying is our perception of good. I don't know, maybe I was just thinking that. Maybe it wasn't somebody. But it's powered by the Spirit of Jesus. So the strength and the force and the drive and, the, and that advancing forward is the work of Jesus. It's a spiritual battle that's happening. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says that no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have. We already have that foundation. We can't come and say, here's a new church and we're going to do it this way. It's Jesus and. Well, at that point, you can just be Jesus and I'll see you later. (laughs) That's not Jesus and. He's the foundation. He's the foundation. I've been in churches that had very little or no leadership, and you could tell that they wanted Jesus to be the leader, but there were 15 different people trying to really fight and be the leader. Then I've been to other churches and, and groups of people, and even Bible studies, where the leader of the Bible study, you know, there's a seat that had Jesus on it, and he was sitting in it because he was the representative of Jesus, which is simply not the case. It's not about the people. It's, it's about the work of Jesus. That's where the foundation is laid. The purpose is laid right there with Jesus the church and when you look at small pictures of that each local body local fellowship the the thing that i'm constantly doing is trying to find a way to make sure that i never get the focus or the purpose that's why i wanted that time off to be able to have other people come in and teach which was all three teachings were incredible to hear that the word of god comes forth with power and force because the foundation is jesus not joe the foundation is Jesus, not Rise Chapel, that it's Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. It, literally, by the second weekend, it was, I had a fire inside of my belly ready to preach. Y'all know I can go. I love reading Scripture. I love seeing the impact, and I love sharing it with the people that I love, which is you guys. Next, number four. The beginning of things often is a good indicator, especially with Christ, of a pattern that he wants to see. And the church first gathered because of the preaching of the gospel, and healthy churches continue that today. Now, I didn't say big. I didn't say small. I didn't say ones with the right names or ones with the right Bibles or the right doctrines or whatever. I said healthy. Healthy churches continue that today. That the whole goal, the whole mission is how do we engage with the gospel, whether initially in responding to the gospel, daily responding to the gospel, or where am I taking the gospel? I could say it in actually three words, reach, grow, send. (laughs) That was good, wasn't it? You guys set me up. Yeah, I did set you up. Oh, well. The church first gathering because of that. Where, where do I say that? Again, the book of Acts, another book. It's like preaching or excited for Jesus, watching this huge mission happen. Peter stood up, Mr. Foot and Mouth Disease, constantly saying the wrong thing. It's like, what's the most awkward thing to say? I'm going to yell it, he does. All kinds of things. How many of you have ever been yelled at by Jesus and called Satan? Not me. Well, probably should have a few times, but I haven't yet. 
But Peter stood up. And I, okay, I, I've taught on this section before, and I always laugh and I say, how many of you were sitting there as a the disciples going, oh, boy, Peter's standing up, getting ready to talk. <laughs> I'm going to have to do some damage control, and all the disciples are going out. See, what Peter really means is, is, is this, okay? But look at what happens. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed them. You men of Judah and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and listen carefully to what I say. He begins a sermon. And you guys can read the rest of this. I'll continue on moving down a couple of verses. Verse 36 now says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He ends this entire message not with, and by the way, donate on your way out. My name's Peter. No, he ends it with the work of Jesus. It continues on. The next verse, 37 through 41. Now when they heard this, they were acutely distressed. Some verses say that they were cut to the heart. Like surgically incision went to every single point in their life. There's at least three people in the body of Rise Chapel that come to me after the service and go, hey, I hate you, but I love Jesus. Now, they say it in jest because God spoke to them in something I said. I don't have microphones in your homes, people, okay? Google does. I don't. (laughs) It's the Spirit working, and when the Spirit comes in and goes, and hits you, don't be mad at me. Come and give me a hug and go yell at God. I'm the messenger. And so what do they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles? What should we do? Like, you're, you're right. We, we killed the Messiah. We, and, and he was the one who came, and, and he came back to life. And all. I just, I'm, What do we do? You've literally hit the center of who I am. Peter says, hey, it was a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. Why is that such a big deal? That 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 statement is that God is returning to be with his people, the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. God is returning to be with his people. That is a statement, that is a phrase that was unheard of unless you were a prophet of the Old Testament. And that was offered to all. It was massive. The ripples at which we see throughout thousands of years still today. The work of God coming back to be with his people. Through this, you'll see the next verse. The promises for you and your children and all who are far away. And as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. He continued to call on them to respond to the gospel. And here's what I love about it. Talk about an altar call. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. Man. Don't read that after you're like, hey, we, we baptized 10 people. <laughs> no, it's exciting when any life has changed. But what gathered that? What was the transformation that happened? Was it, was it Peter because he could use all the right words? Well, we know that's not the case. That's why I believe Peter had such a, broad, a big picture to prove that it wasn't old Pete that made the change in Acts chapter 2 in people's life. That God used a man who could never get the right words across, who always chose to speak first and think later. None of us have that problem at all. 
used him to speak the most powerful, and in Peter's case, life-taking message ever, where thousands of people begin to respond. And those thousands, what did they do? Well, they went home and hid from the, hid from the dirty sinners because they didn't want to get dirty anymore. No, they went out and were missionaries themselves. So the 3,000 became 300,000, 300,000, thousand, and so on, and so on, up to us. That it was centered on good teaching, surrounded by the gospel, and that a healthy church continues that today. Number five then continues into our local fellowships, and we'll close in this. That our local fellowships are not church and I'm not going to be picking words. You guys are going to come up to me or whatever. We're going to go to the grocery store like, hey, I'll see you at church on Sunday. I mean, the local gathering of the Fellowship of Christians, don't worry about that. I might give you a little trouble if, depending upon who you are, like if you're Russell. But anybody else, I'll be nice to you. But I want us to understand the fact here that talking with people about church, talking with the world about church, even family members about church, I, I love telling people about my passion and my desires, and then they finally ask me again, and I go, oh, yeah, and I'm a pastor. Not that I minimize the value of what I do. It's a tremendous honor to be able to be a pastor. But that people will miss the point because they don't understand church as if it's some kind of building where you have to come and be a certain way. No, we come because we can't be that certain way. We're together with other Christians because I don't have what it takes, but w- with us together in Christ, we do. And that's why God built these local fellowships. That's why God wanted to have this church. That's why some of you share with me testimonies of, man, I'm so glad that I'm here. Yes, it's summertime. Yes, it's a holiday weekend. All of you, when you see someone who wasn't here, just stick your tongue out and say, hey, you missed it. God was awesome. Like 3,000 people got saved. You know, we read it in Acts. Um, The last part probably don't want to include, but the rest of it you can. Poke at them. But it's amazing to see the work of God. That's incredibly encouraging to be part of what God's doing here. And I want to close this on this. Romans 12 says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. For those of you that didn't get a chance to see it last weekend, we had a guest worship team come in. Incredible, incredible group. Uh, Two guys. And just phenomenal. For you that were not able to see it, you can check them out. Um, TempleVale.com, incredible uh, guys. Uh, had a great time to spend afterwards with them. But one, they, one thing that was cool is, is we were at lunch afterwards, and they said to me, said, you know, it was so crazy that I just I felt like I was home. And I just responded, and I said, well, actually, I, I jabbed at him first. I go, oh, well, would you want to come back next weekend and everyone after that too? Because they were just phenomenal. It was a blessing. But then I followed it up and I said, isn't that amazing what Jesus can do? There's no reason why they should ever feel comfortable coming to the 50. Actually, this was their 50th state they visited. Alaska was last on their list, but number one in excitement. They always had wanted to come here. So we got to be there, their place where they hosted their last uh, worship time and finishing out the state of Alaska. And they were amazed at how God just knit and connected the people that they met, even though short, it was an amazing time. And that's what God does. If you've ever had a chance, I did missions work, like I've said before, in Haiti and Nicaragua, and the, and the experiences that we had when we would have conversations with people and they'd just be looking at the situation going, you know, I don't, I don't understand, Pastor Joe. I don't understand why we are so good friends. This is what they would say. And I said, I know. And oftentimes, because 
in Haiti, racism is so prevalent still. I said, there's no reason why this, and I point to his skin, who was very dark, and this get together unless it's Jesus. And that's when they say, glorifie bon Dieu, which is praise God. Because it is him who unites and brings together and says there is one body. There's no skin color. There's no language barriers in him. We're all one. And this is the beauty of the work of Christ. So here's what I want to challenge us all with for, for prayer. You can close your Bibles and your notes. I did not intend. I even cut my notes down. But here's what I want to challenge us all with. As we close, there's really two sides to this because sometimes we come into life and we get involved in a church in some way and we see church as the salvation function in our life. And it's not. It is Jesus. And if church is misviewed or misrepresented in our minds, it will mess us up. And we will blame people and we will blame the church for the rest of our life when the church fails us. But that can't happen if we shift that to Jesus. So as we pray this morning, while, while every head's bowed, I want to challenge. And this is, this is not an easy thing. There are more people that I talk with that are not part of Christianity anymore. And their number one reason is, I knew a Christian. I was part of a church, whatever it was, and they are no longer with God. They could give, they don't care at all about God anymore. So while every head's bowed, I want to challenge us that it's time to pray. And ask God's forgiveness for looking at his beautiful bride in a negative way. That yes, there have been people that have hurt you, and I am so sorry. I don't have an excuse for it. And if I could apologize for them, I'll say right now, I'm sorry. But I want to offer you a chance, and I'd love to pray with you. That it's time to let go of that negative view of God's body. You can raise your hand, I'd love to pray with you this morning. looking at his church in a way that he is that center. Not the people that were, well, dead wrong in this case. Just take another second. Amen. Anyone else? God, I know that there are so many times that we people mess up what you have made so beautiful. I'm sorry, God. We do it in our own mind. We do it in our own hearts. Please forgive me. And God, I pray that you would forgive us all for looking at church in a negative light, for seeing it for much less than it really is the gathering of your redeemed. And God, for anyone this morning that has come in believing that church was the fix, church was valuable outside of Jesus, that church had some sort of saving or redeeming qualities, God, I pray that you would touch their heart right now and show them that you are the only redeemer and that you are alive and ready to change their life, God. I lift up this week, God, as we go about this week and we think of what the church is. God, I know that there are going to be people that we talk with this week that are going to say, I gave up on the church. And you know what? We now have five critical points we can share with them of what you've done in the church. Lord, ignite our hearts for the mission. 
remind us and shore us up, get us excited, almost to the point of just yelling out amen. When we realize that we are part of the winning kingdom, we're not a bunch of peasants with pitchforks and torches, but we are the victors, God. We're not victims. Help us to remember that all day, every day, that though hell itself come against us, it will not prevail. We are the victors in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.